Hello, you're listening to the Skylight Books podcast series. We are a general interest independent bookstore located in the Los Feliz neighborhood of Los Angeles, California. This year, because of the coronavirus pandemic, we've had to close our store and cancel in-person events. But Skylight is your neighborhood bookstore, and we are finding ways to create community even while we're far apart. In the coming weeks, we'll be putting out lots of new audio content to help you discover new books, connect with authors, and check in with your favorite booksellers. To learn more about how you can help keep Skylight alive, please visit our website at skylightbooks.com or check out our social media accounts on Twitter and Instagram. You can subscribe to the podcast on Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Thank you for listening and enjoy. Megan Rosenblum is a librarian with a research interest in the history of medicine and rare books. Now the collection strategies librarian at UCLA Library in Los Angeles. She was previously a medical librarian and before that a journalist. She is obituary editor of the Journal of the Medical Library Association and president of the Southern California Society for the History of Medicine. She is a member of the Anthropodermic Book Project, a multidisciplinary team scientifically testing alleged human skin books around the world to verify their human origin. She is also the co-founder and director of the Death Salon, the event arm of the Order of the Good Death, and is a leader in the death positive movement. Joining Megan tonight is Caitlin Doty, a mortician activist and funeral industry rabble rouser. In 2011, she founded the Death Acceptance Collective, the Order of the Good Death, which has spawned the death positive movement. Her educational web series, Ask a Mortician, has been viewed almost 150 million times. All three of her books, Smoke Gets in Your Eyes, From Here to Eternity, and Will My Cat Eat My Eyeballs, question mark, were New York Times bestsellers. She lives in Los Angeles, where she owns a funeral home Clarity Funerals. Um, please join me in welcoming Megan and Caitlin. Yay. Hi. Hi, everyone. Thanks, Hallie. Um, so I want to get through some information for you all just right up top to get you give you a feel for what, um, let's see here, for what this whole human skin book thing is about, because what? Right. And so I'll just give you a really quick little overview of some of the stuff that's covered in my book, uh, Dark Archives, a librarian's investigation into the science and history of books found in human skin. Then after that, we'll get to the fun part and talking with my friend Caitlin. So the 50 cent phrase for finding books in human skin is anthropodermic bibliopagy. So anthropo, human, dermic, skin. Biblio is books and pagi is to fasten or to bind. Uh, the image here of, it, it also is the only image of a human skin book that appears in my book. This is the Dance of Death, um, a 19th century copy of the Dance of Death from 1898. It's at Brown University's Hay Library. And then a lot of the other pictures in this presentation are also real human skin books. So get to check them out. So ultimately this practice of binding books in human skin is a story, it's a history medicine story. So why is that? Um, well, rumors of human skin books began around the same time that clinical medicine began, which was during the French Revolution. So before that, medical training was basically apprenticeship um, that led you to working for private families and wealthy people and hospitals really being run as religious charities as a place to put the sick poor. And then the idea of the Paris School or clinical of clinical medicine, it required actual scientific training. That's a good thing. Um, you saw a lot more patients at the hospital bedside and you were learning from opening cadavers. And then there were also new diagnostic tools that enable doctors to have way more ways of looking at a patient's health status than just what the patient could tell them. So this was good. This is a good you know, advancement 
But along the way, there was a bit of a side effect where doctors developed this tendency towards what Michel Foucault would call the clinical gaze, which is a way of viewing patients as organs or diseases to be cured and losing sight of their humanity. Um, now, physicians do need a certain amount of clinical distancing to do their jobs, but if it's taken to the extreme, this depersonalized view and then added in with social class elevation of doctors who are then doing gentlemanly pursuits like collecting art and collecting rare books, it led to the actual creation of real human skin books in the 19th century. So these, the idea of these books um, and rumors about them were just, uh, you know, just rumors, just innuendo for hundreds of years until in 2014, the uh, preservation lab at Harvard decided to use a chemist um, or work with a chemist named uh, Daniel Kirby to test the leather bindings on three alleged human skin books. The uh, two of them turned out to be sheep and not human. And then the third one, this one here, uh, they destined to the lum, turned out to be real verified human skin. And this really sent shockwaves through the library community because this was the first time anyone could know for, for sure, for sure, that at least one human skin book existed. So here's Daniel. Um, when I, I got interested in this practice and I went to go interview Daniel and then we kind of compared notes about what, uh, you know, what skin books we had heard of in different libraries and then we decided to work together also with the curator of the Mütter Museum to form an interdisciplinary scientific team to find as many as we could and to test them. And so that's called the Anthropodermic Book Project. And so what is this test? There's Daniel with his Eppendorf tube with a book sample in it. Uh, it looks empty because the sample can be so small, you know, this little scrap above Abe Lincoln's head uh, is plenty big to get the sample. Um, the test is called peptide mass fingerprinting or PMF. And it is a way to, you take this tiny little sample, you put it in that Eppendorf tube and you digest it in a, in a um, enzyme called trypsin. That is then run through a mass spectrometer in order to identify the protein that is in the leather. So um, that protein is collagen. And I can, you know, get into later why we don't use DNA testing, but it doesn't really work for this function is the short story of it. But what you get after you run this uh, PMF test is something that looks like this, where you can tell it gives you something that kind of looks like a graph and each graph matches samples in a library of known examples from uh, from different animals. So at the top, you can see what a uh, the fingerprint for humans look like. And then on the bottom, you can see what a sheep looks like. And that is often a very often culprit for uh, for non real human skin books. It ends up being sheep. And you can very easily distinguish between those two and be able to tell uh, tell what the books are. So current figures, um, I think this is about to change because as you might imagine, I'm getting emails <laughs> right now from folks who are interested in testing or have heard of new things. I even got asked to go on a Zoom with someone to look at their book. We'll see, uh, but yes, uh, you know, getting emails, but for now, of the books that we were able to identify in public libraries or museums. So there are 50. Now that doesn't include books in private hands and it also doesn't include some of the things that we've tested that are not books, but other objects. Uh, of those alleged 50, we've tested 31 and 18 have been confirmed as human and 13 have been uh, different animals. So that's it for my little whirlwind tour. Close this out. All right. All right. Now I get to talk to you. Okay. Am I echoing? Why am I echoing all of a sudden? Oh, I guess that's okay. I right. think it's okay. I don't really hear. We're good. Um, thank you for doing this. This is someone said yes, but I think I'm not echoing anymore. Say yes if I'm still echoing. Okay, 
No more echo. Thank you, Skylight Books. Uh, thank you everyone for coming. This is really exciting. Megan has been working on this project for almost as long as I've known you, it feels like. Yeah, well, yeah, about five years now, I guess. Yeah, and it's been such a big part of your life. And we wanted to start and talk about the incredible art on the cover of the book. And so Megan has a copy of the book there and she just wanted to show you, show off some of just that. Kind of then await it here. Uh, I think that the, I didn't see it until like the week that I got it, but the but the uh, binding here, the, um, the spine has really cute little uh, arm bones and stuff. And then this beautiful book with this lovely front page. But I don't know, Caitlin, I feel like I'm, I'm sick of looking at it, you know, like, I just kind of, I don't know, I feel like I could improve it somehow. What do you think? What are you, what's Megan doing? What if I just like, make it a little better? Wait a second. This seems like a sort of viral meme moment, but I don't know what's happening. Do, 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 do. <laughs> This is difficult. <laughs> Hold on, we can do it. This I'm is gonna be a very exciting reveal, everyone. Just just wait I for it. I am really worried that I'm gonna cut myself because that I- would be, look it, listen, this is the kind of crazy pandemic energy that we're looking that for. That we all need. That we all need, that we all require. I think anything that goes down here this is the part where I stab myself. Okay. D for Doty. I'll cut out that piece. Thank you. And we will see. Come on, you. You can do it. Drum roll, drum roll, drum roll, drum roll. Everyone. I'm so nervous, said. No pressure. <gasps> it's. Hold on. This is so funny. Okay. Cake. Yeah, it's definitely cake. It's cake! It's oh cake. my god! I've got cake all over my skull knife that I borrowed. The most disappointing part about this is that I get none of this cake. I started to do this event, but I get no cake. Um, I also, I tried to do it with my book and unfortunately discovered that I just have a normal book. This cake is very good. So, of as some of you might know, we have a cakey order member in Annabelle the Button Pearson. What if I just sat here and ate the cake? Like I just kept eating while who we were could, Who out. would blame you at this point? <laughs> who so, truly could blame you? Yeah, look, it's got like the whole text block is cake. This whole thing here. And then these pages with actual, you know, pages from my book are just our edible paper. Oh my gosh, I think this is someone's fetish is watching you eat this entire cake. <laughs> Just watching, watching well-known author consume entire book at in cake form. Right. It has to be someone's <laughs> specific <laughs> desire. There's um, something for everybody here in uh, our crowdcast. I think you very, yeah, I'm just gonna sit here and gnaw on my own copy of the book. Doesn't really taste like cake, but. So this is made by Annabelle DeBet and Pearson. Peterson? I don't, why do I always say Pearson? I always like skip a syllable on her name. Uh, she is Conjurer's Kitchen. She makes many amazing works of art that are edible. And lucky Caitlin and I, she moved to Los Angeles. Less lucky for everybody. Um, she moved here and was got immediately stuck in quarantine. <laughs> yeah. It's true. I saw her for lunch like the week before quarantine started and it was like, welcome to LA, your new life, baby. And then, you know, but she's obviously, it has not hurt her talent. Right. Um, so now as Megan eats her cake and we all just, our eyes glaze over with jealousy. Just watch me. We're going to have a little conversation about your book, Dark Archives. Um, <laughs> the first thing I want to ask about is motivation motivation for these being made. And I don't, I wanna hear about the physicians and why they made them, but I'm also interested in the motivations someone might have to maintain that they have a skin book that is not actually real. Yeah, so, you know, 
I tried the best where I could uh, throughout the book to try to find clues towards motivation of various people who are involved. But one thing I really didn't want to do, um, which it's really kind of tempting to do, is to be like, well, clearly he did this because of this, you know, with just using my own perspective in the 21st century, in a time where we care so much about consent that to break that trust is is really horrific. Um, you just want to be like, yeah, you you know, it's it makes you want to look at these things and um, immediately try to judge why they did stuff. So the best I can find for a lot of them, I mean, most of the books, they don't have much actual, you know, a doctor saying, I'm going to make this book for this reason, whatever. Some of the books at um, the College of Physicians of Philadelphia Mütter Museum uh, have some notes from John Stockton Huff that say things like, you know, oh, it was bound in the skin of this person, like of this initials from this hospital. Um, and I tanned it on this day and things like that. So he's like keeping notes, but he's not saying like, I did it because I hate women or something like that. That's not <laughs> happening. Um, and some of the other folks like Dr. Boulan in that Harvard book, he said that he thought it was fitting to uh, give a book on the human soul, human clothing. It's like, you thought that was that's true. That's truly creepy. I'm all for, I'm like, I'm, you know, <laughs> for me to say that, <laughs> for me to say that is, is going far, but. All right. A human soul, a little coat. A little human coat on my book. Yeah, it's like it's like you thought that was fitting, huh? Mm. Uh, yeah, I don't know if we'll all agree with you in a couple hundred years. Um, but in terms of the forgeries or fakes or whatever, not forgeries. Um, well, so there are some examples in the book, and chief among them, the Notre Dame book, which is just a howler of a fake, and. This guy did a lot of bookish harm to a 16th century book, which did not deserve it. And it makes me really mad that he was literally just, he pasted newspaper, modern newspaper onto the front of a 16th century book all inside and circled things in articles about human skin books, circling things like the price they got into auction. And so to me, that's like yelling, hey, I want, <laughs> like I faked this on purpose because I know it would cost, I would be able to get more money for it. The, a lot of the other ones though, um, yes, that could have definitely happened, especially in the private market. But I also kind of think that, you know, there's stories that get attached to things and they get repeated over time. And then at some point, you know, say a well-meaning librarian or somebody writes inside Bound in Human Skin so I don't get it mixed up with the other ones. <laughs> and um, so I think it's possible that people in good faith thought that they were dealing with a real human skin book when, and then turns out that they weren't. Were there any books that you tested out of the 13 that were found not to be human skin that the institution that owned it was like, oh man, like, I really thought we had a genuine skin book. I'm trying to remember, but there were some folks who were a little disappointed. Um, Jack Eckert, at, uh, who's retired now, but he was at uh, Countway. He actually used to work at the Mooter before that, but he, he was at Countway Library at Harvard. He was like, yeah, it's kind of a little bit of a bummer because we had this Ovid metamorphosis and it made sense kind of to have it be bound to human skin. It's in a medical library. Now we have an Ovid for no reason at all. Right? <laughs> Just like it doesn't really fit in a medical context anymore, which I thought was kind of interesting. Um, you, I think the reaction to these books can be really varied. Um, you know, there's definitely the morbid curiosity element. Uh, one thing I didn't talk about in the book, but, I was at Harvard, I went to Harvard and then I went up to Brown. And while I was at Brown looking at the books, they hadn't received their test results yet, but then they got them while I was there from Daniel, right? Mm -hmm. So I just like, you know, talked to him. I had all the books out and I'm looking at them. And I'm also like, you know, internally kind of placing bets like, mm -hmm. oh, this one's too big. This is probably not real. You know, that kind of thing that you, that it's like, easy to sort of do in your head while you're looking at it. 
and then yeah they happened to get it and I, I there was probably it was probably a student worker or something i don't want to say it was like the staff for sure i don't want them to get mad but someone was like oh, we got more books in harvard and they're like so excited <laughs> um like, oh, real yeah. real rory povich moment yeah it was like when it comes to get- this you know eight six 17th centuries human skin book human you are the skin right exactly so it was like four so hay library has four hay at hay library at harvard i mean sorry brown has four human skin books and they are all like deeply weird um where the meter ones there are five they have the most but a lot of them are kind of similar to one another they're all medical providence provenance the ones that hay are are all have something very unusual about them so they kind of have the like most interesting collection i guess um and yeah i just happened to be there and it was like a foggy day there's like fog rolling over the day it was very dramatic yeah and that's you for the big human skin book announcement yeah those are real and not so you referred to the team that came together as an interdisciplinary science team which of course is the you know the highfalutin term, but I think of you all as this like crack team of rogue scientists who are going into all of these different institutions and almost like the Da Vinci Code somehow, not to demean you in that way, but you know what I mean? Like some sort of like science and arcane wisdom and, and, you know, metaphysical things going around you. So what is the actual reality of working in this scientific human book skin testing team like? Mostly emails. Um, <laughs> all, oh no, it's 2020, and the answer is mostly emails. We're saving up for a van. No, um, but we were. Yeah, we we have only all gotten together one time, and it was at Desalon and in the, at the Mütter. Yeah. yeah, that was the only time that we were all able to be together. I kind of thought it would happen during book tour. It did not, but it's it's very funny because um, so Daniel the chemist, you know, Anna, Doty, and I, you know, we talk all the time. We're really good friends and we're just always like chatting and texting and bothering each other. So, uh, you know, we talk about skin book business sometimes, but we're always just kind of in conversation. Um, and Richard Hark has gone on to, he has like moved institutions, but he's doing a lot of like pretty cool heritage science stuff. So that's really cool. And, um, but Daniel is, you know, he's retired and he is working some at Northeastern now. And I asked him to come on uh, a podcast with me because he's the real scientist, right? You know, I'm the librarian. And it was a science podcast called Ologies. And he, uh, he was having, he had so much fun. He was totally good sport. But he, he wrote me the other day and he was just like, yeah, I'm just like really excited, enjoying all this uh, book attention. He's like, I'm, He's like, I'm just a simple country chemist. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, that's adorable. I'm just a simple country chemist trying to identify human skin books as, as any chemist would do, given the opportunity. It was so sweet. I was like, oh, that's so funny. That is really sweet. So <laughs> speaking of uh, Maury and drama, can you reveal to us who didn't want you to test their books and why? Mm. If you can't name names, just give reasons. Okay. There are some books. This is Googleable, um, but I didn't get into it in the book. But there are some books that are um, alleged Qurans. Oh, gosh. Especially right now. Yeah. And the institution are like, uh, you know, so I think... I mean, lots of institutions don't want to do it for various reasons. Uh, there are plenty of other reasons, but uh, there are a couple that are like that where people are a little... So a lot of librarians are on the side of like what you know. I want to know. I, I would rather know than not know and let the chips fall where they may. And other places are like, do we really want to invite this kind of attention to objects that we're not crazy about anyway, like that we're not super stoked that we have them, blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, on one hand, there are uh, 
you know, some good reasons, like if you find out that it's fake, that's a huge relief, right? Then you don't have to worry about it anymore. But I think there are some places where it's like, let's just not even, let's just like leave that genie in the bottle and not go there because they don't want the attention, uh, especially if the book is like, you know, a religious text. So there are Bibles that are allegedly human skin, but those are from like the 13th century. And I have a very, I mean, they are very outside of the scope of what we see. So I don't think that institution is going to let us test either. But so I think in general, if it's a religious text, people are very squirrely about that. And then uh, also the one I do mention it at um, the the book that's at Stanford. Uh, they were very patient with me. I could tell I was being kind of annoying, <laughs> but I kept it was like, it's like, but could I please, I really want to know this one because it was so late and it has, um, it is not a Nazi era book, but the person who owned it had it bound in the early 20th century, which is really late. And he ended up dying during, you know, the occupation and stuff um, in, uh, during the Nazi, Nazi era, era, he died in Berlin. So I think, that's the closest to that era, closest association that I've really gotten so far. And so I really want to know if it's real. It is an extremely strange book, just in general. Like the inside has this metal frame and there are like whole mole furs, just like undulating masses of fur on the inside of the book. It's, it's very, very odd. And you know the Roish, you know the Roish kind of, Mm -hmm. uh little fetal fetal skeleton tableaus that's one of the pamphlets that's bound in this book and um and some of the earliest color prints that exist and stuff is it's just a very very odd book and i'm i just like really want to know but hey it's their it's their book right <laughs> and they could decide yeah I, I completely understand it's their book but it also seems like you already have like a thing in your collection with a big arrow pointing to it. That's like human skin book. We think this is a human skin book. Everyone thinks this is a human skin book. So to be like, but I don't actually want to know that that seems strange to me. But I mean, I understand what you're saying about the religious texts and what do you do? You have to, it's, the onus is on you to do something more perhaps if it is found to actually be human skin. Yeah, I think that's it. It's like, if you get the truth and it turns out to be real, then you feel like, oh, now we have to, do something about it. Whereas if you don't really know, and you just kind of, you know, this is purportedly bound in human skin, we don't know. You know, uh, that's, yeah, I would say. Oh, go ahead. I don't know. I don't know how to, like, I clearly don't think that, but I have a very specific perspective on this. Yeah, well, you're part of the, the crack testing team. So of course, you don't have that perspective. Right. Um, and when this when these things come up i mean i guess it makes sense in another way because as we were just saying the you have to maybe do something and i know that you had some reactions that people were like they should be buried or we need to to do something with them like it almost feels like for some of these institutions an additional step needs to be taken if it is proven to be real and and where do those where does that impulse come from do you think i think it's you know Museums have a lot more uh, experience dealing with human remains, and libraries have like none, right? So there, there is, Hopefully. yeah. So there's that. Although I did hear something that there were some library mummies at different points in history, which I'm very curious about, but um, not as common as as this, but very still very uncommon thing. But I think that, um, yeah, I think that there is a need to, I mean, in general, a lot of institutions, including museums, there seems to be a heightened need to react to their human remains in various places. And so there's a lot, uh, there's a lot to unpack there. And it really, I feel like a lot of it is probably just, you know, are they afraid people are going to complain? Are they afraid people are going to be really upset? Um, what do we do with this? I think there's a lot of reckoning going on right now about why did we even have human remains in collections in the first place kind of thing. And, um, but with the books, it's like, you know, I, I try to give 
different people's perspectives throughout the book because I think that people have very valid differing opinions from mine, right? It's it's not like, you know, saying climate change, like teach the controversy or something like that, you know? It's like, no, everyone who knows what that is, anything who know, anyone who knows anything about climate change knows it's real. There's just some people who are like disingenuously saying that it's not. This is like, you could make a good argument either way, right? For the edu for the persistence of an object in a collection, adding context to it, using it as a teaching tool about, you know, dark history, um, important, like reckoning with our past, having it persist so that you can continue to learn new things through new methods. That's kind of my take. And then there are the, this, this was a human who was, um, treated poorly and no matter what even though we can't know anything about them that should go in the ground um and you know i i don't i think they are both valid points yeah no that's that's a, and i want to talk more about that i want to make a quick pitch for asking questions in the ask a question button that's at the bottom of your screen because probably in about 10 or 15 minutes we'll start getting your questions directly so that's a really good point. I want to continue on from that. The idea of, is it really, like if you bury a human skin book, is that really disposition of a body? Because I think what, when we say disposition of a body, we're talking about the whole body in most cases. We're talking about a burial of a corpse. We're talking about cremation of a corpse. But it seems like in this scenario, we're really just talking about like a piece of skin from the back of a body. And I wonder if for you and in, in the, the studies that you've had or the things that you've seen, if you feel like that makes part of the difference. But yeah, it's yeah. part of a human rather than like the full somehow essence of the remains of a human. I think it's kind of interesting that there, in certain countries, there are legal uh, distinctions about being a body part or a human remain and also whether something like a human skin book would even be a human remain. Um, so in England, they have human remains are like the skeleton is a human remain, but this human skin book or a shrunken head or some, or tribal objects made with human remains are cultural artifacts because they use the application of skill and that there's a legal definition there. And so it is easier to keep in collections things that were made from people than just whole dead bodies. Wow, that's almost like a like a transformative use in copyright a little bit, right? It's like you can't you can't post a full movie to YouTube, but if you comment over the movie a little bit, now you've transformed it somehow and the law says that's okay. That's really fascinating. Something else I wanted to ask about is the books that are because of through you and through this testing I've really changed my mind about human skin books from something that are in like murderbilia collections, which maybe you'll explain a little bit about, and people who just like want the dark objects to this, these books that are in like real highfalutin libraries and institutions. Like it seems like the more highfalutin like an institution is, the more skin books they have. And why was my perception was my perception wrong about that? Or are there just so many more in this kind of dark web space of skin books that, that we don't know about? Well, I think, so the easiest ones to find are the ones that are in a public collection, right? Um, and that usually they would have derived in, from a private collector, usually a doctor, bibliophile who made them, um, and then maybe passed to a couple other doctors, other book collectors, various kinds, and then get donated to an institution and that's where they stay. Um, but, you know, institutions, I don't think are like shopping for these or anything like that. They end up with them. Right. And that's probably part of that discomfort too is like, well, we have this thing, somebody took it in, like, you know, now we have to take care of it, that kind of, um, you know, a little bit of discomfort. Um, but I think that there are probably 
a lot of a lot more human skin books in private collections, but especially in France. I have a very deep feeling. Um, and from, you know, some things I've seen, like I mentioned the book that I see a book in the Bonnef that has pictures of other books that were clearly like that had a nipple or a tattoo. And I'm like, you know, <laughs> whereas like you normally can't tell something is human skin by looking at a human skin book. But in a case like that, um, yikes. Yeah, probably, you know, just from looking at the picture. But those are all private. So because of the laws in France are very strict around human remains, like one of the strictest, then I think that those will stay underground. They'll pass underground, you know. Um, I don't think that, you know, because other times there have been times where a book will come up for auction in France and then they'll hear that it's a, you know, human skin book and they'll close down the auction. So there are like actual legal ramifications in France. Where in America, it's so strange because we, as you well know, like we only really have one national law that deals with human remains, and that's the Native American uh, Grave Protection and Repatriation Act. And then all the rest is like state-based. So anytime you or your colleagues in the order are in the order of the good death are trying to make certain disposition methods legal, you take the active approach of like trying to actively legalize things so that then you are not holding the bag if someone decides, hey, human composting is desecration of a corpse. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's really about what's desecration of a corpse um, and whether someone complains about it. And so the outfits like today, you know, it really just depends. Like, does someone know you made it? Does, you know, do, does someone complain about it? Then what happens? Those would be the test case, but who would want to be a test case on something like that, right? Yeah. Well, you speak you some speak French, 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 right? Mm-hmm. I, I, oh, I'm not going to again. That's just, just like the voice of God, unfortunately. Um, I, I think I would love to see a another book of yours where you get deep into the French human skin book trade. That's your follow-up to this deep, deep underground. And then you get in too deep and it gets dark and. Yeah. Know. I mean, I like, for instance, uh, Frederick Cox, I mentioned in the book where he actually does have one, but he bought it in America. So he kind of like, um, he had a couple that he thought were real that we tested as a private test, but there are more people who are hearing about us in France and are trying to, you know, get tests done. You know, some of that can be for totally like very ethical reasons. Like, okay, I want to know for sure if this is real, then I know I can't sell it or, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but, you know, I'm sure if I wanted to go visit his library of like occult books that he would totally let me come over. Um, but yeah, it's, it's like, do I really want to go into the libraries of people who are like <laughs> secretly collecting human skin books? Yes. Yes. Uh, we want that. We like, want you to do that and write about it. I think I need some sort of like bodyguard or something. I mean, it sort of has a similar energy to when I went to the tannery and I'm just driving by myself in the middle of the woods like to go to a leather tannery. And I'm like, this movie doesn't end well for yeah, this person. That's what makes it fun. That's what makes the book fun and the story fun. Um, so a question that I wanted to ask that it just reminded, what you said just reminded me of, when I first was with my first human corpse, I really had a sense of like, wow, this is kind of sacred. It feels like there's a strange power around this because it's human remains. Was that your first experience with a human skin book too? Like, did it just look like a book and you're like, oh, it's a book that may be sheep, may be human. Or did you feel some sort of like, oh, 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 around the book as you first held it? Well, it there is a, a kind of remove that we get because it's an object and not a dead body because it, during the course of this i actually did go to an, an anatomy lab and for the first time was in, in front of like an actual open dead body and that was a very different experience for me than the you know dozen some human skin books i've held um so the first time i saw them was at the mooter and the it was it was like wait what like looking around like why what like does anyone see this this is not okay like that kind of reaction of how could this thing be what it says it is and then 
I just kind of thought it was another singular thing that's at the Mütter and nowhere else. And then it was, you know, four years later, I think, that I was in a, a rare book cataloging class and I mentioned them. And then the next day I sat down and, um, you know, you come into class, they have a little book on your cradle and you get to like flip through it, count the signatures, do all this stuff. So just, I came in late because I got my car towed. I'm like sweaty and I'm just like, and sit down and I start looking through the book and the teacher's like, yo, that's a human skin book. And I was like, ah, because it was in my hand and I had no expectations. You saw how I handled that cake. I mean, I'm so clutch. Um, my clutchiness comes up a, a couple times. And this book, oh, I feel like. Sliced into that human skin book? Yeah, I was like, not yet. well, actually, yeah, I did slice into one at the Huntingdon. That was when I took the sample and I'm just like, <laughs> because I'm not a dexterous person. And I was so worried. I had all these people standing around me watching me take the sample. But um, yeah, so like I didn't have this sort of, you know, big moment because I wasn't prepared for it at all. Turns out that that book wasn't even real. So it was a while until I held a book when I guess it was at Harvard was probably the first one that I held it going in being like, this one is a hundred percent definitely real. And yeah, it's like, I don't know what it feels like is you're in a room that's usually very nice. Sometimes it's like wood and pretty and there are all these other people at tables and all of them are looking at stuff. And then you're like, do they know what I'm looking at? <laughs> like this, this sort of like, you know, um, like a weird kind of exciting, but also like, I don't know, just like an uncomfortable, weird sort of secret that you have that's open because they look so much like anything else that, um, yeah. And then sometimes when I was, I was doing that, then the people working at the room would be nudging other people who research there all the time. They're like, she's got to hear this You know, that kind of thing. People would be like, you're the cool you're the cool girl at the rare books library carol you're like the you know everyone's like whispering about about the cool stuff you're working on i guess i mean i think some people are like completely not just disgusted by the idea but then at, you may have you may experience this sometimes too where people then just like make it out like you're disgusting too or like oh mm -hmm. you study something gross therefore you are gross it's like hey just because i study something that is objectionable doesn't mean that i am saying hey let's go into business making human skin books or something like that <laughs> yeah you know? because I'm, I'm studying this because it's my next business venture right <laughs> for everyone well that's good that leads me to what my final question is before i start taking some questions for you from the audience which is i know it's only been what a, a week and, a, and some change so far since the book has come out do you feel and you've got a lot of big pieces big press pieces a lot of big reaction one, do you feel like people have gotten it that have, have reviewed it and engaged it so far? And two, why do you think we want this book now? <laughs> That's a great question. The second part, especially. Uh, the, so it, it is incredibly gratifying that people are generally readers and reviewers are getting what I was trying to do, that they're, that they don't see it as like, Oh, isn't this spooky, you know, like a sensationalist kind of thing. I mean, if you want that, you get that too, because you kind of can't help it, but that there are way bigger ideas contained in this book and that people seem to feel like I walk that impossible line that you do all the time. That <laughs> You're like big inspiration for me on that of like, how can I talk about horrible things in a way that is engaging and doesn't make you feel like you're being punished for learning about it? You know, that you can bring a certain amount of curiosity and enjoyment in learning about it without being disrespectful. And I think that that is like the fact that people, readers and reviewers have been seeming to like, nod that I did that is like the biggest best part of of this whole thing is that people I'm like oh they get it because there were some people who you know read it and whatever or reacted early on who did not get it um and did not were these like reviewers on goodreads 
Um, yeah, I can't. I, it was count. Picture, I, can't, I can't name names. Real. But uh, there were some folks who were just like, um, like who didn't like my voice or didn't like, you know, that I like bring people along or, or anytime that I try to be funny, they didn't like it, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but sometimes funny things happen because, but it was always like things that I did, like my bumbling that gave you a little release valve of humor. And so the, the reactions that are really like heartening to me are, you know, there's a science writer who was talking to me and she said that she really enjoyed it and that she was reading it on the beach, first of all. Little beach read. Yeah. And she was like cracking up and her husband's like, what could you possibly be laughing at in this book? She's like, there, there are funny parts. So like sometimes funny things happen. So I'm glad that people are able to like a little bit of well-placed, respectful levity can help like keep you going through the journey and that people feel like I'm it's like my curiosity is appealing to them as opposed to being like lucky Lou voyeurist, which um, is a hard, is a hard road to walk. So that's been great. Um, the, what's the second part? The question is why do you think, why now? Why well, human skin books? Why now? Well, I mean, mostly because that's when it was done. Uh, but <laughs> it's like, I don't necessarily think I would have been like, can I launch this during pandemic? right before the scariest election that there ever was like but like it's it's getting it's doing so well and i'm so proud of you and i think that it it ended up coming at just the right time somehow like it's like it has it just like it fits in the milieu somehow and so you may we may have gotten really lucky yeah maybe i don't know it's so weird because if if you i think i in general um you know i know you like current pop music and I don't. And so like, I, I feel like there's a certain level to which I don't understand why people like things. <laughs> like where I'm just like, I'll hear some new music and I'm like, people like that? Okay. Um, like I just have weird fuddy-duddy tastes and stuff like that. Um, but I would think something like Paul Kunaris's book, A Cat's Tale, that's coming out really soon would be the thing you need during this election where you have a cat that is the best model, America's next top cat model. And it tells you stories about cat history and it's awesome, you're learning and it's so fun and so like pure, right? Um, my book, there is a sort of funny element where it could kind of be like, hey, here's this horrible thing you didn't know about. <laughs> and so it's a, I guess people are getting it. Yeah, it's, it's less threatening than like what's going on now somehow. It's like, it's, it's, it's dark, but it's dark in a way that I think feels sort of, I have this theory called witch to kitsch, meaning like witches were horrifically burned, but now they're like cute and they have little warts on their noses and we watch Hocus Pocus and we love it. And I think that sort of can happen here. Like you can still, and you of course do a great job of, of cementing it in its time and the realities of the time, but it's also something that feels distant enough in the past and that sort of a, a strange dark history enough that it can, it can tickle all our morbid fancies in this time that we're all trying to be morbidly resilient in the pandemic, but also not be such a direct threat to our life and liberty as so many things are. Yeah, yeah. It's, you know, it's, it's really interesting how people, the push and pull of that, like the repulsion fascination thing. Um, do you remember when pandemic first started and everyone started watching like Contagion and stuff? I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, why would you do that? Um, but some people are like, I'm going to dive in and this is going to help. This is a controlled way to deal with my anxiety. Right. You're like, why are you doing this? What? But please buy Dark Archives on <laughs> coming out. In but I, I agree that it's distance because it's not, um, people aren't routinely getting books bound in any kind of leather, right? Right. So that's not our biggest problem at the moment. Okay. Yeah. I have to get to your questions. So this is a good one. Um, can you tell us more about the strange or bizarre books that you mentioned that were not medical in nature? What kind of books were they and what topics did they touch on? Sure. Uh, there's one that I don't talk about much, but I should um, because it is very weird. Um, it's called, uh, I'm going to 
open my database of human skin books. So I don't mess up the name. Um, you know, Romney's got his binders of women. I've got my <laughs> your binders of human skin books. Human skin books. So this book is called uh, Mademoiselle Giraud, My Wife. And it's by this dude named Adolphe Bellot, right? It's 1891. And it's this is one of the ones at Hay Library. It, you know, it doesn't look very interesting, I guess, but it's more the content that is so weird because it's literature. And the the idea is sort of supposed to be sexy and gay, <laughs> but it's like not sexy it's technically i guess gay but it's written from this really weird like straight white male gaze thing where it's basically like when i heard about it they tried to put it in the same vein as like lady chatterley's lover and i read that and that's still nasty that is still like a sex book right mm -hmm. this book is like this guy gets married to his to his wife and then she spends too much time hanging out with a friend of hers from school. And then she goes and like stays with her and he tries to find her. And they ends up like, I think he ends up um, like drowning her or something. It's like a whole thing, but sexy, not so much. Not erotic. And, and there's no actual like written explicit sex the way there definitely is in Lady Charlie's Lover. And like, so there was a preface to the book by Emile Zola, you know, who's like famous French writer. And, he, and he's like, listen, I know you all think that this book is, um, is lurid and, you know, and pornography. But I'm here to, to tell you that this book is very important because it tells us about the dangers of sending your girls to school send your girls to school, you're going to get some lesbians. That's basically the book. And I'm like, really? Yeah, now, <laughs> uh, now he's making it sound like a good book. <laughs> now I'm intrigued. It's like it, it, like reading reading that text from our perspective today. Like I actually did laugh like a lot, <laughs> but not for the reasons that you like, think. And, um, and why is that book bound in human skin? And you throw a human skin binding on that, on that puppy. What? Um, so yeah, I mean, I say in the book that there are like, at, for a long time, I thought there were no like sexy human skin books. And then there was the BDSM poetry book at Grolier that turned out to be real. And even, and that one is very odd too. Um, sometimes it's hard to tell. I'm not a historian of like literature in this way that it could be like, oh yeah, clearly this is very erotic for the 16th century or something. Um, so I know it's, it's perspective, I guess, but, but reading it from today's perspective is just like really odd. Um, yeah. So that's, that's a weird one. That's a that's weird one. No, that, that'll do it. Um, next question. Have you come across any human leather objects other than books? So we have tested some objects that are not, um, that have not turned out to be real. I don't think, there were some like pieces of skin and things in the Mütter collection that got tested and turned out to be real. Uh, their wallet that was, there was a wallet in the case with all the books that, and those did not turn out to be real. Uh, or that one did not turn out to be real. But the, you know, sort of biggest one. Oh, we tested, uh, am I allowed to share that one? Let me see. Yeah. Hold on. Uh, I, don't, I don't know. I don't think so. Um, sorry. Uh, okay. This is why I have to have the database open because I scroll over and it says da data sharing. It's like yes or no. Because mm. um, I don't want to tell tales out of school unless I have a signed form that says it's okay. Um, but the, so at the hunting den, it was like a note on a piece of skin, alleged skin that also made like really nasty claims against Native Americans saying they used white skin for currency. Oh. Yeah, not, it was not on. And that list. was not skin. That was not skin. And then uh, the, the most like, you know, the biggest one, which happened like right as I was turning the book in. So I'm like trying to add it in right at the end 
was that a small Holocaust museum in the US came to us and asked whether we could test their alleged human skin lampshade. And we were all like, yes, we will definitely do that. But we were all like, we're, you know, like, oh God, what if this is real and whatever. And it wasn't even an animal. It turned out to be cellulose. So, so this creepy looking thing looked like, I mean, it seriously looked like it was from a horror movie set or something, was paper like paper that you could see through and it was all cracked and weird and had like veins on it and stuff and it was just paper so they were super relieved and like just literally jumping up and down for joy to find out like oh god we had this thing in storage for for decades we were terrified of it and then to find out that there was nothing to be worried about was such a relief for them because then they were doing they were making plans like okay if this turns out to be real we have to get a rabbi to do this we have to do, like they were making all these plans and they were just like sick about it and then to be able to give that release was like so heartening for us yeah totally like it's paper yeah, yeah. So it's interesting oh, that those two really like racist scary objects like it's it's skin from the white man we skin you know it's a you know jewish skin and these terrible things you almost feel like that's that's sort of very different than what we come to understand from your book is the actual purpose of human skin books like human skins books were not made hold on oh. I, you froze for a sec Oh, I did. Sorry. Oh, they were not made as, as objects of horror and warning. Right. I, I would say the only ones that were probably, so one of the weirder threads of like trends that I found was that if thus far the books that actually mention any sort of background, um, any sort of ethnic background or race of a person, when we've tested them have turned out to be fake. And then, um, so that is like, oh, okay, why are all these ones that are fake adding this like racial bit on top of it? And then the other part is um, there are some alleged books that are pretty compelling that are in the UK that were made. I think Caitlin's gone. I hope she gets back in. Um, you're here? Okay. I, I don't see your face, but um, so the the other part is like there are a, quite a number of books from the UK that are allegedly bound in the skin of executed murderers. So those, while a doctor was the one who took off the skin during public dissection humiliation, these were like actually made to punish. These were like a punishment if they're real. Uh, I haven't tested them yet, but there's often like other human remains with the, you know, books. And so it'll be very interesting to see. I hope that with the book coming out that uh, we'll be able to make more inroads with some of those museums to get those tested and find out. Because on one hand, you know, the William Burke, Burke and Hare Murders book, that book is really compelling. Um, and probably the most famous alleged human, human skin book there is. But also, there could totally be fake murderabilia things that come out of a famous trial, right? So I wouldn't like say for sure one way or the other until we're able to actually test it and find out. And then if we, whatever we find out is, is gonna be big news, I feel like. Okay, can you hear me? Yes, I can see you now too. Oh, you can see me now too. I'm back, baby. Yeah. Um, all right, we're gonna do two more questions. We'll do them quick because I know we're supposed to wrap up here. Mm -hmm. um, I know the concept and practice of tattooed skin preservation is becoming more popular. Do you think that consensual skin preservation for binding books, such as memorial photo albums, would become popular? Um, become popular? Probably not so much, but um, I do associate the new wave of postmortem tattoo preservation outfits as the closest thing I would find to what it would be like to try to attempt to do something like human skin book binding in today's era with consent and all the laws. And um, so I do spend a chapter going through, you know, talking to the different outfits and like during the course of 
of doing this book, I talked, I interviewed this one guy and then he like dropped off the face of the planet. And then I was finishing the book and I'm like, where is this guy? And I couldn't get a hold of him in any way. I was like doing all these things to try to find him. And then there was a news story that came out about this huge, um, like whole back, uh, pres preserved tattoo that happened. And the name of the company was similar, but different from the other one. And so I got a hold of that guy and it turned out he was like the embalmer guy who worked with the first guy. They closed that down and then started like a different kind of venture doing the same thing. And so I was able to talk to him and everything. So it's really, um, that whole thing is very interesting, but, um, I think that they are, they feel very comfortable that, they're on the up and up because it's very like consensual but consent and legal are not the same thing we really always want to tie that together especially in that's a very 21st century america idea it's like if i if i want to do it i should be able to do anything and as caitlin well knows <laughs> that is usually alas yeah <laughs> Okay, final question. I'm so glad that I now get to finally ask this question to you. You may be annoyed by it, but here we go. You have just published the Dark Archives. Do you plan to write more? What other topics do you want to explore in your writing? Oh boy. Um, yeah, oh God, that's so hard. You know, <laughs> um, I, I will embarrass you slightly um, with this answer, but I remember being at your book launch for Skylight. And during the conversation, you were like, for the very first book for Smoke Kissing Your Eyes, and you're like, you know, blah, blah, blah. And as an aside, you said, you know, and I'm never going to write another book anyway. So <laughs> just like, you were like, nope. I'm I stand done. by that. I stand by that to this day. And like, we're, we're getting book number four soon, right? And um, so, my inclination right now in the middle of pandemic, working a brand new job that I'm trying to learn remotely with a toddler um, is, I can't even think about that right now. <laughs> like I cannot remotely like try to conceive of what I would do. Um, on one hand, it sucks to launch a book during pandemic for like a million reasons, but on the other, I'm glad that I'm not writing it right now so um it'll be a minute <laughs> if i do something else and it, it, it's gonna be hard to like decide what that follow-up would be yeah like do people want something like what caitlin was saying like the france like running around france book um you know Thank emily you. emily you. in paris with skin books yes. um uh because right here's your contract <laughs> Right, because like, you know, I feel like people be like, okay, we got the human skin book thing. Let's do something different. But I don't know what that would be. So um, I'm just gonna keep my eyes open. I feel like something will just materialize that will interest me. And then I will be like, I'll go to my agent and be like, is this a thing? I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I like that you're not putting pressure on yourself to do that and to just let yourself not go back to that space. Cause you know, if you're not deeply, deeply passionate about it, it just won't happen. You know, it just won't end up happening. It'll, or it'll fall apart in the middle. You just have to be that level of passionate that you were about this project for years to make it come together. Yeah. That's the thing you have to be, it has to be interesting enough, not only to people who want to sell it, publishers but interesting enough to you to be like yes i will invest years in my life about this and talk about it all the time and think about it and dig in um and that's a big that's a big thing um yeah it's really hard to put myself in that generative space yeah. i'm really looking forward to like a nice little fallow let me read a bunch of stuff period blessings blessings upon you and you deserve it this is your last book event right mm-hmm yeah um, megan a round of applause for nice. sticking with it and giving us all this content in such a dark time so much content yeah and i think tomorrow morning i'm going to be live on wnyc on um allison stewart show um which is called uh, blanking i forget the name of the show but um 
I'm going to be on there. And I think that that's probably my last like live hurrah. Hopefully I don't get any like last minute Halloween calls. I would like to actually enjoy Halloween, but I am going to stop by Skylight on Halloween to drop off more signed book plates. This artwork is by order member Landis Blair. I even have the OG, the actual original print here. You can see all the cross hatching and stuff and all the details. It's so, so cool. It's not a print. This is like a hand-drawn thing. So gorgeous. The book is so beautiful. Everyone should order the book from us. You can get a signed book plate with the lovely art on it. Um, I wish I could see Emily and Paris's marketing campaign for this book. I feel like it would be really... You know, I'm so, that's the best idea to come out of this. <laughs> that's like, I'm, I inject it directly into my veins. Yeah, she would cook something up really last minute and great. Um, any last thoughts before we sign off? I just, I, you know, thank you everyone for being here and for our authors for having such a wonderful conversation. Um, yeah, yeah, Dark Archives. I'm sure everyone already has this, but tell your friends they make excellent Christmas gifts or Hanukkah stuffer. Yeah, thank you to Annabelle for the cake. Um, I'll be stopping by for my distanced piece tomorrow. Can I tell you how hard it was not to eat this the whole time? I there? can't imagine. Your restraint is admirable. I would I'm really not have been able to. This is really good. If we were I'm in sorry. person, everyone would have just been shoving cake in their face the whole time. I know, I know. <laughs> I promised my toddler, I was like, there will be cake tomorrow. <laughs> like, I, I will save you some. You get to have some cake. So thank you, Caitlin. And yeah, hi. thank you so much, everyone. Thank, thank you for you coming. So Thanks, Good night. night. Good night. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Skylight Books podcast series. Please don't forget to visit our website at skylightbooks.com and make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for more author talks and bookseller conversations. You can find us on Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Stay safe and healthy, and we hope to see you back in our store soon. I see.